You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. It's time for straight talk about diversity, frank questions, honest answers, and real insights. It's Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, with your hosts, Sadika Bakta of Nikea Diversity Consulting and Anthony Arrington of Top Rank Professional and Executive Search Firm. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, is a Corridor Business Journal podcast. On today's episode, Mark Nook, President of the University of Northern Iowa. And it's important that we all start to ask the questions of each other and, and be open to hearing different perspectives and, and really engage in it in an open educational environment. We'll be right back. Green State Credit Union is proud to sponsor Diversity Straight Up. Established in 1938, Green State is Iowa's largest financial cooperative serving nearly 250,000 members of all walks of life. Green State's products include checking accounts, loans, investments, insurance, commercial services, mortgages, and credit cards. Profits are returned to members in the form of better rates on deposits and loans. We encourage you to learn more at greenstate.org. Green State is federally insured by the NCUA and is an equal housing opportunity lender. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, is also sponsored by Alliant Energy. Welcome to another episode of Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by the Corridor Business Journal and Green State Credit Union. I am your host, Anthony Arrington. And I'm your host, Asarika Bakta. We're having an exciting episode here with our guest executive, uh, president of UNI, University of Northern Iowa, Mark Nook. But before uh, we get to that... uh, Something's on my mind. Something's on our mind, right, Anthony? Yes, yes, Erica. You know, I've been uh, I've been keeping up with the California recall election. Uh, for our listeners, they're recalling, uh, doing a recall election for Governor uh, Newsom there, and I've been keeping an eye on that because I know it has national implications. Um, the results of that, and once again, it's just been disturbing to me um, to read the news articles uh, regarding the opponent um, already putting out advertising that one party that the the, the Newsom camp is cheating. Um, and there, there's false voting already again, and we're having the same conversation we just had, um, the same problem, and it's just, it just blows me away that whatever happened to when we were kids, you know, and mom told you, you know, you lose fair and square, and you, you live to fight another day, and all those things that we were all taught, it's just, it boggles my mind, the amount of attempts to suppress voting that's happening, and just to win. Um, just, I don't know, what, what's your thoughts about that? It's just, it's really disturbing to me. Um, I enjoy the topic of politics. Yeah. Um, uh, political diversity is uh, part of our DNA around the world, but especially in the United States when you're thinking about you know democracy. And I think that when it comes to fair and just, if people are saying the outcome is not um, you know what they're looking for, then I would always say go back to the processes, look at um, how that is being implemented, how it's being executed. We can always improve. If people are having this perception, is there a reason why? But if the uh, 
they maybe if people aren't waiting for the results but even then if they're seeing something maybe that's the reason why they're bringing it up and i know we've seen this happen throughout different you know election cycles that um people are feeling that it's not fair or it's not right and uh, we've always said that people's perception is their true reality and it's going to drive their decision making process yeah. regardless of what the data shows etc yeah. and that's where we have to make that connection to be able to connect are we doing this in a very fair equitable manner and maybe there's opportunity for awareness and education at that to help people connect and resonate. Or is it where they know it is and they're just not liking the outcome? That's yeah, the different. That's, that's the latter. That's the different that's the uh, aspect of it yeah. that I think that there's two prongs there. Yep. And I'm always going to go to the first prong. Is there a way to nope. make it connect to them more? Yeah. And then if not, and this just they know it's right and it is, yeah. you know, the democratic process and it played out fairly, squarely, justly. Yet it's yeah. not the outcome that they liked. Then there's opportunity to, to continue to stay engaged in the civic engagement process and try to yeah. alter the outcomes, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we could travel. President Nook, that's, that's what's on our mind today. We've been thinking about it. I don't know if you have any thoughts, but, the, you know, we always start out our segment with some things that's on our mind going on in the, in the landscape today, and, and that's something we've been thinking about. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It it is an interesting discussion. It's one that's uh, you know across our country. Yeah, it's yeah. not just in uh, California. Yeah. Uh, it touches all of our elections. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, we can let's let's get on. Let's 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 get on with the show. Let's let's move, move forward with the show here. So, um, Mark Nook, originally from Holston, Iowa, he began serving as the 11th president of UNI, and he also served some time as chancellor at Montana State University Billings. Uh, he was there from 2014 to 2016. Also spent some time in the University of Wisconsin system. Uh, worked as a provost and interim chancellor at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point, and also spent some time at the University of Saint Cloud or Saint Cloud State University in Minnesota. So graduated from Minnesota State with a, a bachelor's degree in physics and mathematics, a master's degree in astrophysics from Iowa State, um, and a PhD in astronomy from the University of Wisconsin Madison. So quite a scientist. Welcome, President Nook and his wife. They, they reside at UNI President's house and. Three adult children, uh, two granddaughters, and, and two grandsons. So, so welcome, President Nook. Welcome to our show. We we appreciate you coming on Diversity Straight Up. Yeah, Anthony and Sharika, thank you very much for the invite. It's it's a pleasure to be with you and, and to talk about these important topics. Well, Mark, uh, we know that when you came on as president in 2017, since then, uh, there have been a lot of hurdles that you and your administration, faculty and staff and uh, student body have uh, been really overcoming and engaging in dialogue around equity, diversity, inclusion and engagement. I want to go back just a few years, uh, especially in 2019, when there's a controversy that began around the Waka Flocka Flame concert, where there were potential concerns around uh, gang violence at UNI based on information that you had received from different law enforcement parties. Based on that, the decision was made to pivot the location of the concert as well as who could attend the concert. And um, based on that, there was some condemnation that was uh, being shared by both students and faculty around a range of issues that were related to racial bias and lived experience of uh, students, especially those that are members of the underrepresented group. We know that you had issued a formal apology and took responsibility for the um, inaction by University of Northern Iowa on these issues. I know there's a lot of context that we're kind of trying to set up here for our listener. Question for you is how have um, you helped um, 
change uh, the culture around this? And personally, what has your perspectives been around this? And how has it changed for you as an individual? And uh, what have you done as a leader to really improve uh, race relations um, on campus? Yeah, I, we've done uh, several things both on campus and, and within the community to reach out. And uh, first of all, uh, the really important thing is to listen and to understand where the communities are at and where the different perspectives are coming from and, and how to bridge some of those gaps um, that uh, are in that communication chain, uh, because that's almost always what's going on is, is there's a breakdown in some of the communication and how people are talking to each other and, and understanding different perspectives. Uh, one of the things that we've done uh, recently, meaning a little over a year ago, is, is to start the President's Council, uh, which was originally a President's Advisory Council on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and we gave the, the committee the opportunity to do a couple things. One was uh, to adjust their charge. Um, we gave them a, a, an initial charge, but we said, you know, it, it's really up to this committee to think about what, what are the things we're missing um, and to help redefine that charge. And they also redefined their name and they changed their name to the President's Advisory Committee or Council uh, on Inclusion, Transformative Social Justice and, and Advocacy, um, uh, expanding on the original sort of definitions around diversity and equity and inclusion. Um, they came to me and asked me if, if, if that was okay since it's a President's Council. And I said, you know, absolutely. Um, uh, it, it's part of the redefinition of the charge and, and what it is we need to work on. Uh, the other thing is we, we cited this thing as a president's council. One of the things that's important to realize is that there were had only been three president's councils ever named. Um, one of those was around budget and the other two were around some of the benefits that we have that came about in, with, with legislative changes around negotiations and things on our campus. And so the, the, the highest level um, uh, committees are presidential advisory committees. And so we wanted to make sure that we seated our work around um, uh, equity and inclusion work at the highest level in the university. And uh, then we went about uh, a completely different selection process on, on how we seated this committee too um, within our shared governance system. So faculty reached out to and, and actually took nominations and had people make a statement about, about why they wanted to be on the committee and how they thought that their work would be, uh, their background, their work would be helpful to moving the university right. forward. And um, then that selection was made by those shared governance groups and moved forward. And we put together what is a, a pretty exciting committee. They worked most of last year and they're continuing to work this year um, to really look at the university deeply. That's great, that's great. I wanna learn a little bit about uh, Mark Nook, the, the man, the person, you know, and, and your background. And, you know, we, we normally say, oh, well, tell us about your background. But really, I just wanna learn from, from Mark. Can you talk to us about an aha moment in your life or some personal perspective or some self-reflection uh, coming from, from Mark Nook, the man, that really impacts how you lead or changed the trajectory of your life, what have you? Uh, was there a moment in your life, an aha moment in your career, personally or professionally? And talk about how those things have impacted you personally as a leader and how you carry that at you and I as a president. You know, there's there's several of them. One of them, um, when I was young, uh, at the end of first grade, my family had to move from Holstein to uh, Colorado Springs because my brother was deathly allergic to soybeans, we found out, right? So I was not the place to live in <laughs> one of the kids. And my my parents are Midwesterners, right? They grew up in Hamburg, Iowa. Dad's around the ag economy. Mm -hmm. They just 
chucked it all and moved us all to Colorado Springs. And and uh, that commitment to family, you know, really stood out in that move. But it also meant that the school that I went to the next year was about 25% uh, African-American, 25% Native American, 25% Hispanic, and, and 25% white. But all the teachers were white. And I recognized that even as a second grader that, you know, there was something going on here. Um, so, uh, you know, that was a transformative in, in just simply stepping out of this rural mm -hmm. small farming community into a, a, a larger city mm -hmm. um, and into a very diverse uh, setting. One of the things, though, that professionally really hit me and, and sort of changed things, as well as at St. Cloud State, we had some very uh, trying and challenging racial um, events happen on our campus in the, the early to mid 90s. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we had a student key a swastik into a, a uh, faculty member's door. She happened to be Palestinian. Um, and, uh, you know, we got the door fixed and then they did it again. Um, we had KKK show up on a student's whiteboard on her residence hall uh, door. A uh, few other incidents like that, some leafing, uh, some leafleting of, of cars by a, 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 a white supremacist group in the area. And a, a colleague of mine started a uh, program on campus. It was the Hate Crimes Forum, and it was just an opportunity for people who were interested in, in learning more and talking and, and understanding what's going on to gather and to talk. And we all agreed that, you know, what's important here is that we are from time to time going to make mistakes in our conversation. But here's an opportunity to talk, uh, to respect each other. And if somebody says something that, that you know, sets your teeth on edge a little bit, <clears throat> uh, let them know in a way that will help them grow. We're all here to learn. And it was a very educational process. One of the interesting things about that meeting is that, you know, after a, a while, the person that organized it was a, a, a white male, but he was from South Africa um, originally. And uh, it was going pretty well, but all of a sudden everything started to fall off and, and people weren't attending anymore. And he and I ended up standing there and talking to each other and maybe one or two other people. And I looked at him and I said, Jeffrey, you know, what if I send out the next notice? And and uh, I sent out the next notice and we had 35 people there. And, a, uh, you know, white privilege kind of just smacks you in the face and those sorts of things happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think I learned in, especially in that moment, the power of cooperation, right? That, that as, a, as a white male in particular and the privilege that I carry and, and the people that are willing to listen to me are, are different than the people that are willing to, to listen to different groups. And it's, it's the bringing these voices together that really allows us to, to make some movements forward um, and, and to grow as communities. And uh, you know, not long after that, the university asked me to, to sort of chair the committee that wrote the university's racial issues curriculum and, and their diversity curriculum as well. And uh, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out why the white guy that's a scientist is asked to chair those sorts of committees, <laughs> right? It, right. It, these things that that isn't who you normally turn to. But um, it was it, it is this, how do you get the voices in the room and, right. and you get the conversation going right. um, so that you can really get there? Yeah, we so talk about that. Aha moments. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. We, we talk about that a lot, though. You're, to, you're, to your point about what is a, a, a white male scientist doing uh, having this conversation? Your, your voice matters in this conversation. And I think the more Sedek and I talk a lot about it, and we advise our clients uh, often about this process is challenging, but it's not a blame and shame process. Um, and it's our opportunity to use our privilege, whatever that privilege may be. That white privilege is something you have. That doesn't 
defines you completely, right? And there are other privileges that I have as a human being, as Seneca has. How do we use that privilege to, to uh, leverage uh, diversity, equity, inclusion? So, so actually, great, great point. So, Mark, you mentioned a cooperation. Yeah. What about coopetition? There's cooperation and competition, especially among regent universities, not only in Iowa, but across all the states in the United States. How do you value the competition yet put aside to work together to really positively impact equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement um, collectively? I think that that's how you're gonna move the needle, move the dial in a very aggressive manner. I want to ask you, in your opinion, what are some key, key collective steps that must be taken by all of the regent universities in this state? What do you think are the top three? Yeah, um, I think one of them first is just recognize that we're not where we need to be, right? We, we really, and, and the three presidents uh, we meet um, somewhat regularly and talk about various issues that are facing our institutions and, and equity is, and diversity issues are, are uh, ones that we do talk about. How do we address these issues? Um, I think, you know, as we work through these, how do we, one, make sure that we've got the, the faculty and staff on board that we need to, to show that we, we really do care about this. This is, uh, the, that we've got the representation. If you really want to serve students of color, uh, students that are members of the LGBTQA community. If you want to serve students from the uh, with from the the disability community, you've got to have faculty and staff that they see that represent them. They've got role models. They've got mentors here on campus. They can see that they can be successful in the in the higher education environment. And they've got people that are on the staff and faculty and in the administration that understand their viewpoints and are able to represent them from a, a culturally specific background. So making sure that that we have uh, diversity, not just amongst our students, but amongst our faculty and staff is, is extremely important on our campuses. Uh, we're continuing to, to sort of think about our language carefully here on our campus. Uh, uh, you know, when I was at, at Wisconsin in the system office and things, and, and even now we still talk often about things like the, uh, uh, the gap between the performance between white students, Latina, Latina students, and uh, black students, Asian students, in terms of uh, graduation rates and things. And we're starting to change that language because too often what that sounds like is, is uh, a white normative, right? The, the whites are performing here, uh, the Asians are performing here, the, the, the Latino, Latino students are performing here, and the, the black students are here. Uh, and it's all, how do you do relative to the, the white students and everybody else is falling behind. Um, and, and they aren't able to perform at the same level and automatically you're saying they're not as good. And, and while that's not what you're meaning to say, your language sort of subliminally sends that message is they, they just aren't the same. So what we're trying to do is talk about educational debt. And, it, and it's not the debt that they create for themselves. It's the debt we create for uh, individuals, for, for populations that we aren't supporting in a way that they have equal outcomes. Right. As, as I think about equity and, and inequality, what I'm, I'm really thinking about in, in inclusion is if, if we're providing an equal and an equitable opportunity for everybody to be successful, then we get equal outcomes. And if we don't get equal outcomes, then we're creating an educational debt for different populations and different groups. And how do we address that? Right. So how do we pull that apart and make sure that we are providing everybody with an equitable outcome? 
so that right. we can achieve the an equitable opportunity so we can achieve the equal outcomes. Educational debt. I never heard that one before. Have you heard that term? That's a great um, one. <laughs> I have in other circles, but yeah. I appreciate, uh, Mark, how you had in indicated that you have to look at groups and beyond just groups. I mean, I heard you say collectively, whether it's whites or Asians that are mm -hmm. creating this uh, um, standards. Even within the Asian community, there's so many different communities that what I'm seeing quite a bit, even in the academia or in the business sector, that, oh, Asians are performing well, they're highly educated, they're financially performing, they're taking care of, let's go on to some other groups. And the reality is that everybody's putting all of these Asian communities together, that you may have the Chinese or the Indian that skews the data, and you're leaving out other Asian communities that are just yeah. falling through the cracks and the gaps. Absolutely. And I think part of that equity is... I understand why people look at groups together. We need to continue to peel back the layers on yes. the onion and take a look at the data. Yes. We really need to recognize that it, that, you know, it, 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 it's a spectrum. It's like a rainbow where the, the, uh, in a rainbow and a spectrum, the colors bleed together, right? There, there's just this right. continuum of things. It's hard to say there's Asians, there's African-Americans, there's Native Americans, there's Latinos, Latinos. You know, um, those populations have a range of diversity within them. And, um, you know, lumping them together uh, makes the numbers work out, but it doesn't help you attack the real problems and the issues yeah. underneath there. You know, we saw this, especially in the, in the you know, in some of the other institutions in the 90s, as uh, we had a lot of, of Somali people coming to, especially the St. Cloud area. Uh, mm -hmm. The Somalis were, were uh performing very, very differently than, than African-Americans who had been raised in the United States, right? They, um, uh, and, and we weren't tracking that well. We saw it with the Hmong population in the, the late 90s as, as they really moved into higher education and some of the challenges that, that they faced and especially the, the females in the Hmong population faced yeah. and things. And, and just starting to think more broadly about those pieces and how you, you serve, as I said before, all of those individuals equitably. And it's really about understanding each student and making sure that you meet them yeah. where they're at and then take them to where they need to be to reach their educational goals. Yeah. You know, President Nookie, th these are great initiatives and um, they take, they take um, no pun intended, manpower, right? They take human resources, right? And oftentimes organizations, be it uh, higher education or the private sector, um, when, when it's time to look at budget, it's time to look at, we're, we're, we're constrained, particularly we know that three, three regent universities are constrained financially, and we try to figure out where we're going to cut. A lot of organizations tend to cut these types of initiatives, tend to cut the diversity and equity and inclusion initiatives, tend to cut the budget. But it's, just, it's as valuable as the computers that sit on your desk and the chairs that we sit in. And so how will you or how do you as a president when you know you're facing cuts and know, and know that DEI is at the top of your, your priority list, how do you make sure that there's continued funding there, continued resources so that those efforts don't lose traction and become like, well, like St. Cloud where suddenly just two people are showing up to the meetings? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think one of the things to really recognize is what we're really trying to do is meet the educational, professional, and personal life goals of our students, right? And if you focus that and, and you take an, an equity mindset, that it really is about being inclusive and, and making sure that everybody has an equitable opportunity to be successful and, and you're recognizing the backgrounds of your students, what you're really trying to do is set up a support network for, for all of your students and for your faculty and staff so they can be successful as well. And, and while you it may look like on the budget that you've cut back on diversity issues. The question is, have you continued to support at at least the same level overall in your budget, um, those issues and continue to support students, faculty and staff so that they have an equitable opportunity to be successful and you don't create a deeper and deeper uh, debt for different groups of students, populations of students um, that you continue to focus on, on trying to get everybody over the bar and make sure the bar is set appropriately so that they're successful when they leave your institution uh, with, a, with a diploma. Alliant Energy is a place where I can create the future, where my skills, creativity, and new ideas make a better tomorrow. I help deliver the energy powering moments that matter to you. It's where we care about the environment and our neighbors, a place where my talents and skills grow. My job isn't a job, it's my passion, my place, my purpose, because I am energy. See how you can put your energy to work at AlliantEnergy.com careers. Mark, I'm sure many administrators probably did not think uh, leading a campus during a global pandemic was going to be something that they had signed up for. Knowing that the COVID has a lot of diverse perspectives, beliefs, and value systems around masking, not masking, vaccines, not vaccine, diversity perspective, diversity of thought, which we embrace. How are you creating psychological safety to engage in dialogue where you can agree to disagree in terms of perspectives? And more importantly, how do you create that physical safety on top of that psychological safety so that people can be their best, show up as their best as a student, as a faculty, admin, and staff. You know, th this is one of the biggest concerns that I have, um, and it, 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 COVID has stressed it. Um, uh, it isn't the uh, primary impactor, but it certainly brought out the pieces, right? Is how do you protect uh, the physical and the mental health and the emotional health of your students, faculty, and staff, and uh, especially as we're in politically charged times, um, as the segment that the opened with uh, the discussion of, of uh, uh, Governor Newsom and the recall election in California, the contentions around the last presidential election and, and what happened on January 6th, all of those things, it, it's just a very politically charged atmosphere. And, and we don't um, seem to be able to have conversations anymore. We like to yell at each other when we disagree. And so finding ways that we can open these conversations up and, and really make them, them teachable moments and learning moments, not just for our students and, and not just for our faculty and staff, but for our communities, for our state and for our country is, is what's really important. So how do you model some of these things? How do you bring people together and say, look, Here's the reality of, of where things are now. What can we control in that? What can we do to, to make sure that people feel one, comfortable coming to work here, coming here to study, being engaged in uh, this, given the, the realities of COVID, given the realities of the, the political discourse that's out there. And I, I mean that small p political, uh, not necessarily R versus D, but, but just the, the 
dynamics of the conversations in uh, our converse, in in our country at the moment, um, and finding a way like we did through the hate crimes forum to say this is about learning. It's about us sharing what I'm thinking in a way that I'm not trying to say you're wrong, but I I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying. And I want to understand what you're saying so that I can be informed and see how our pieces fit together and where things don't fit. And we can then have a dialogue and how we can move together. We will never all agree on, on anything. But the question is, how can we see that the, 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 the decisions that are being made uh, the way that I approach the world is is viable within sort of the constructs that are there. And then how can we find what are the central issues, those tenants within our university, those tenants within our, our community, whether that's a Cedar Valley or the corridor, those tenants within our state and our country that really are central to all of us. We, we all agree on those. We all believe those. We all support them. Um, and then how can we build a sense of community and, and more than just a sense, build real community around mm -hmm, those. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, let's take a question uh, from our listeners. Shall we do that? Yes, let's yeah, go on let's to another that. segment called What's on Our Listener's Mind? I wonder what our listeners are thinking right now. And so listeners continue to submit your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. We love to hear from you, and you're always keeping our guest executives on their toe. We have a question from Susan from Atlanta, Georgia. Anthony, you want to uh, read sure. the question that Susan yeah. has for Mark Nook? I will. This is a good one, Mark. Uh, I'm hearing a lot about critical race theory in the media. Can you explain it? That's a, <laughs> a loaded powerful question. loaded one, Susan. That is a loaded one. And, and, Thank you, Susan. Uh, you know, as, the, as the person that's trained as an astronomer and, and not in critical race theory, I'm probably <laughs> not the, the right person to take that question on. Um, sure. So let, let me move it just a little bit and think yeah. about it. So, um, you know, as we look at uh, our institution, we think about issues around race and diversity. What we know is that there is a, a, a real spectrum around the understanding of diversity, around inclusion, around equity, around belonging, and around the, the principles, and, and in particular, how we got to this point in our nation's history and in our societal development. And critical race theory for a long, you know, really as it developed, developed as an academic pursuit and trying to understand the development of our country and the development of ide ideologies and principles within in that uh, within that society. And what, you know, I think about as I, I take these is that's a body of knowledge. There's other bodies of knowledge. How do they come together? And then what is it that we need to be thinking about so that we can make decisions that really do make the university and make our community able to support all of our citizens and help everybody, regardless of their background and where they come from, um, be successful and, and have an equitable opportunity to reach those educational goals and their professional goals and their personal life goals. So uh, I'm going to dodge the question on exactly what That's, is critical yep. race theory, because I'm not an expert in that area. And if I learned anything from reading Plato, it was, you know, <laughs> you don't go into areas that you're not an expert in. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, but I do, I, I am aware of, you know, what's being talked about there yeah. and how that impacts the discussion 
And, and you engage the people that really understand that to talk about it when you bring people together. Yeah. Great. Thanks. I would ask for Susan, you know, uh, thank you. Thank you, uh, President Nook, for giving at least your perspective. And I, for Susan, you know, it's a uh, continue to research. I think, you know, what we've done nationally is, a you know, um, politicize our words. Sarah and I always like to say words matter, you know, and at the end of the day, um, in, in its simplest terms, we're just talking about the history of, of systems in the United States and how race has impacted those systems when you talk about redlining and, and housing discrimination and banking discrimination and those things. And we, we get wrapped up in words and, and uh, instead of to what you were saying, just trying to learn if we're really open to learn. So, Susan, I hope that gives you a little bit of perspective on, on uh, at least what uh, critical race theory means and continue to do to do research. Plenty of opportunities to look uh, for some information online and seek some resources. So thank you for that question. And we're going to go on to another piece of this segment. I don't know how well you play a ball, Mark. This is a diversity <laughs> thumb ball. I'll show you a little bit. It's got a lot of questions and prompts. You may have seen similar ones out there. It's very soft, squishy. So if I accidentally hit Anthony in the head, if I don't have a good aim. <laughs> the purpose of this is that um, we're going to do this virtually with you. I will throw this first one at Anthony, and um, he'll catch it on your behalf. Wherever his thumb lands on the prompt or question, he'll read it out loud, and then we just want you to authentically respond to it. Okay, Mark? All right. All right. If you're here, we'd throw it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I got That's the thing. I would attempt to throw it at you more like <laughs> it. All right. And the question is... How do, or excuse me, describe a time you experienced prejudice? In the position I'm in, I have seen the prejudice not against me, but against others. Mm -hmm. I think most of the time. Um, there have been um, an occasion, uh, I'll talk about one without specifics of it, but um, I attended a powwow and uh, um, the uh, uh, outside of where the event was taking place, um, uh, various Native American families were gathering, and um, uh, the uh, some of the children were not behaving the way that certain people that were walking by thought they should be behaving, and it was really a just a cultural mismatch, right? They didn't understand what the powwow was. I'm not sure they even realized that a powwow was going on inside the venue. And uh, they made some extremely, extremely inappropriate comments, not just to the children, but to the, the parents about um, moving back to the reservation, which is odd because they weren't actually from a reservation. Um, you know, so it was, um, uh, uh, a, a very sort of tense situation mm -hmm. at that point and uh, uh, one that uh, worked out in the end quite well because of the maturity of the parents that were involved. Um, one of the one of the most moving incidents and it's not an incident of race uh, of, of, of um, sort of racism, but it, one of the things that touched my life a lot is when I was at in high school, back in Holstein, I had the opportunity to hear Jesse Owens speak. 
um, and I had dinner with him and, and, and it was with a Boy Scout group. But, um, you know, and Jesse was talking about his life as an athlete and, and what he went through. And uh, he'd just written a book at that time called Black Think. And, um, you know, it, it, didn't, it didn't have great acclaim within um, the Black community necessarily, but it, it really had his perspectives on, on how things uh, were at that time and the things that he had seen. And, and you know, his descriptions of uh, sort of the, the racism that he encountered, um, uh, and, and especially at that time, going back to the forties, the thirties and the forties, it really touched me pretty deeply. And, you know, it was, I think probably fortunate that I was sitting in one of those seats right by the podium. And so I, you know, there wasn't anything I was going to do, but pay attention. Plus he was one of my heroes, right? I grew up, everybody wants to be an athlete. He was the best known athlete in the world, right? Everybody knew Jesse Owens. And uh, it, it moved me to go home and read that book, even as a 15 or a 16 year old find out what Jesse was thinking about very different than the, the world that I was living in and things. So, you know, his descriptions of those had a, a real impact yeah. on, on me personally. Um, I had a, an incident sort of turning the tables around. I, I taught a course in a prison um, in St. Cloud. Uh, it's a maximum security prison. And one of the times I was, uh, leaving the the prison i'd stayed a little late helping some of the students with their their class in general astronomy and i was leaving the prison at a at a time that the a lot of the prisoners were moving and i hadn't done that before and i was moving through a uh an interlock uh you go through one cell door one through one gated door mm -hmm. and there's another gated door it closes and then you have to wait for the other one to move and uh, um, at that time, I had a beard that was half brown and half white, I a little vertigo in my face. And, and it was a pretty distinctive beard. It's half white and half black. And uh, I happened to be in the, in the interlock with uh, a, a group of prisoners who were, were uh, uh, African-American. And, and they were having a lot of fun with my beard and uh, um, giving me a <laughs> lot of, of critique about uh, uh, that and uh you know and i was kind of all alone in there and and you know you're an outsider you're not part of that community you're not an inmate um yeah. there's a lot of ways that i was different and i was the the unique individual in that yeah um but i was also the person that had the most privilege because i was the one that's going to walk out the door and they were, uh, yeah and and but it you know the there was a lot of pressure Sure. Um, yeah. And I was really waiting for them to open that other door, right? Because it was it was a it was a pretty hostile language. Yeah. Using. <laughs> Great story. But, Those experiences shaped you, though. They it, it was, you know, it's a tremendous learning yeah. opportunity to be in that, um, you know, that kind yeah. of yeah. It was it, it was extremely uncomfortable, uh, yeah. but I knew it was also one that I was walking away, and and I yeah. recognized that you know for many of our our black students, they never get to walk away. For many of our yeah. Hispanic students, they never get to walk away, right? Yeah. It, 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 it's a daily minute by minute thing. Yeah. Um, so that, right. you know, that microcosm of, of what um, many people sure. experience throughout their entire life just kind of get home. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Mark, for sharing your uh, diversity thumbball uh, question and experience around it. All yeah. right, Anthony, Thank your you. turn. You. Keep yeah. this going so here. We're, we're about to wrap up. We're really about to close our- uh, Are you gonna throw it? Am I, oh, are we going to do all? That's yes. right. 
That's right. Today we're doing all three. I forgot. We all get to play today. Normally we play this, but the last show we did, we only played with, uh, with our guests. So I'm glad we get to play again. Your turn, Sarah. I'm ready. Here we go. I'll be quick. What are the benefits of diversity? Oh, where's my uh, laundry list? Yeah. The benefits of diversity is that uh, you, make, you make better decisions when you have people that are different than you from a cultural background, racial ethnic background, uh, gender background, political background, religious background, because it allows you to continue to question your own biases. So diversity really allows you to be a better person and the outcomes for the organization, the community is that collectively you can do better and be better because you have diversity that uh, you're able to leverage with equity, inclusion, and engagement. So I do want to have that caveat. The benefits of diversity in of itself is not going to be beneficial. Oh, yeah. You definitely need to leverage that as an asset with equity, inclusion, and engagement to really drive innovation and get that match. Yeah, yeah. All right. And on to me. Share a time when you went out of your way to make someone feel included. Oh, gosh. Lots of different times. Um, I, I would actually say, I can actually say in the last 24 hours, I had a conversation yesterday with um, a person uh, on Facebook who hit me on the side about uh, I was going to an event uh, here locally in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and they knew I was going, and it was an a school event. Um, and part of this person's challenge was the, the disadvantages of, of blind people in schools and in the workplace. And they began to write me this long uh, message about disadvantages. And I hear that you're going to be speaking at this event, Anthony. I just wanted you to know how I feel, et cetera, et cetera. Um, coincidentally, this morning, I'm part of a human resources association group. Um, and coincidentally, this morning, we had our monthly, con uh, monthly meeting and the speaker was on uh, adaptive or work adaptive tools, uh, job adaptability network. And so I took, my t I took an opportunity this morning to advocate on behalf of the conversation I just had yesterday and asked the individuals because I knew that the cost of, uh, that the cost of um, uh, vision adaptive software was inexpensive. The expense really comes in how do you integrate it with other systems with the organization. And so I, I, the person that I was speaking to yesterday that was concerned said that the company wouldn't buy the software for her friend because it was so expensive and I knew that wasn't true. So I brought it up this morning and I told him about a real world situation. And so I'm connecting those two individuals um, so that she can speak to this organization about adaptive technology for blind. Not that she didn't know about it before, but this was an organization she never knew nothing about. And it hit me this morning on the call and I figured I would step out of my way and, and advocate um, to make someone else feel like they, they matter. So yeah, lots of, lots of opportunities there. So. Well, as we wrap up our show here, Mark, is there any advice you have for our listeners, leaders, to help them enhance their own equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement journey? What are some of the key advice you have for them to continue to go on this journey and be better? Yeah, you know, I think the the biggest thing that I've, I've learned and continue to try to remind myself about is simply engage. Um, you know, recognize that, that uh, for all of us and for this country, that there isn't the we're never going to reach the goal, right? The, this work is going to continue forever because we're talking about people and people's lives. And it's important that we all start to ask the questions of each other and, and be open to hearing different perspectives and, and really engage in it in an open educational environment. Um, be willing to, to stop people and ask questions in a, in a real intent to learn and uh, 
be willing to say, you know, what you just said bothers me and here's why it bothers me. I'm, I'm not angry about it, but if you do it again, I might get a little angry about it. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> you know, and, and just be able to have that conversation um, and, and learn ways to be able to really engage. Because if you don't engage, we continue to create these, these equity gaps and uh, that, are, that really are then debts um, across our society. And so I think the first thing is to just um, bear your soul a little bit and, and recognize that we, we're all carrying some biases. Uh, we all carry some isms with us. And uh, the only way to understand them and to unpack them is to start to, one, recognize that you know you have them. You may not know what they are. You may not recognize them, but recognize that they're there. And then as you interact with other people and and are honest and open with them and and things, you will start to unpack and and really understand what those biases are and and what those isms are and and how you can can start to work around them and become more, more equity minded. Yeah. and more inclusive in your your day-to-day life great advice great advice self-reflection a lot of being humble uh, being willing to 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 sacrifice so to speak uh, your humility yeah thank you for sharing that well thank you so much for joining us on our podcast diversity straight up and we're always keeping it real and so we appreciate uh, your insights and your reflections and taking the time today to really help uh, drive this journey collectively yeah as we come to an end, you know, appreciate your time. Thank you, uh, uh, President Nook. We'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors, our major sponsor, Green State Credit Union, along with Alliant Energy, City of Cedar Rapids, uh, and Collins Aerospace as well. So, yeah, and as we say on our podcast, diversity straight up, keeping it real, keeping it real. See Thank you next you time, time, everyone. Take care. Thank you to our listeners, as we wouldn't be here without your support. Help us grow our subscriber base by sharing our show with others. Love this new episode of Diversity Straight Up brought to you by Green State Credit Union? Then head over to the most popular podcast audio platforms to describe, rate, and review us. And check out our other episodes while you're there. Catch us on our next episode, which drops monthly. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. Remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. It's not enough to simply be a leader. Be a global leader by leveraging diversity with equity, inclusion, and engagement. And share your journey. This may empower others to be bold change agents. Be courageous. Be authentic. Be vulnerable. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union. Keeping it real. You've been listening to Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union. Additional support provided by Alliant Energy, Collins Aerospace, and the City of Cedar Rapids. For more from the Corridor Business Journal, please visit CorridorBusiness.com. This episode was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios.